It's not as if other people didn't want to get homes as well. They did. The federal government simply would not give them access to it. And people who are, who are homeowners, they realize the greatest value of a homeowner isn't the home that you, that you value, that you have. It's the equity that you build up as well over the course of time. Because you can use that equity to make repairs to your home, to send your kids to college without debt, to buy a boat to go out on a lake fishing, to buy a cabin up north, to go on vacations to Paris and France and other places. It's the, it, it leads you into the American dream. And when you deny whole segments of society, the right to build that generational wealth, you have what we have today. And this was done over a long period of time. And I want you to understand, here in the city of Milwaukee, there was a special report with the 1950 census. They looked at who had mortgages in big cities around the country. And this is what I discovered. This was the city of Milwaukee, active mortgages. 27,227 white people had active mortgages. Only 369 non-white people had active mortgages. And I guarantee you, every one of those 369 came from the same bank. Columbia Savings and Loan was the only bank in town that would give black people loans to buy a home. That was it. No other bank would touch black people. And there was a small Mexican community. I don't know where, uh, I don't know if any of them were able to even get active mortgages. Uh, and I don't know if they had access to Columbia as well. But then when you look at the FHA mortgage, the Federal Housing Administration mortgages, and the VA mortgages, not a single person of color had one of those in Milwaukee in 1950. None. Zero. And we wonder why there's such a gap in home ownership today. I tell people all the time, one of the myths of, of, of America and one of the reasons that we have these really dumb conversations about race is that white people make the assumption that they have what they have because of their Protestant work ethic, that they've worked really hard to get what they have. No! You have what you have because you have discriminated against people of color and denied them those same opportunities, and then you don't reflect back on the fact that you got hooked up yourself. You got hooked up. White people, I tell white people all the time, you guys got like the greatest hookup ever, but you don't acknowledge it because nobody tells you about it. Nobody wants you to know that you have these advantages because of you being a white person. There's no reason that other people shouldn't have had access to these other than the fact that somebody did not want them to have it. So when we look at the impact of this today, look at Metro Milwaukee and nationwide home ownership rates. It's less than 28% for black people in Metro Milwaukee. Less than 28%. And then the national um, home ownership rate for blacks, 43%, 42.9%. Just to give you an example how little progress we've made, 1968 Federal Fair Housing Act was supposed to end discrimination in housing on a federal level, outlawed all those different things. The black home ownership rate at that time was 41.3%, and it's 42.9% today. It peaked at 50% in 2005, and it's gone down every single year since then. We're moving in the wrong direction, but nobody knows. Nobody is really clear on understanding what happened. Nobody knows about the continual discrimination by banks, by real estate companies. It's going on unabated because we have laws that we're not enforcing. I tell people, don't celebrate the, the, the law unless you look at what happened after the law. If the law isn't enforced, the law is like a piece of toilet paper, basically. And that law, which is an incredibly important law, has never fully been implemented, and it's still having tremendous impact today. Only six states have a lower black home ownership rate than Wisconsin, Hawaii, Minnesota, Vermont, South Dakota, Maine, and North Dakota. And I can guarantee you, it's not a whole lot of black folks living in Maine, South Dakota, North Dakota, and Vermont. Or why either. Now, I know there's about the same number of blacks in Minnesota as it is in Wisconsin, so you know, I don't know what their excuse is. But we can see that it's widespread. 
you probably heard of Bronzeville, the black business district, but what you didn't know about Bronzeville, it was never called Bronzeville, number one. Secondarily, in 1950, blacks in Milwaukee had the highest per capita business ownership rate of any blacks anywhere in the United States of America. We had a very successful business district on Walnut Street, and most of you have probably heard, raise your hand if somebody has told you during the course of your life that the freeway destroyed Bronzeville. You've all been lied to. You've all been lied to, just like I was lied to. I used to think, oh, yeah, it was that darn freeway. But guess what? I looked into it, and I discovered something. I discovered aerial photos. This is an aerial photo. Now, you can't really see it very clearly, but that red box, that's the box that every black person in Milwaukee lived in 1938 when they drew the redlining map. And you couldn't live outside that box if you were black. So inside that box, the green box there, that's where Walnut Street Business District was. About half of the black-owned businesses in the city were inside that box. And you see there's nothing there. Does anybody see a freeway? You don't. You know why? Because it's not there yet. It's being built, but it's being built from the south to the north, what they call the North-South Freeway, Interstate 43. At the time that this photograph was taken, they were demolishing the Third Ward. The Italian residential community was being leveled by the city to help build that freeway. And so by the time they got to Bronzeville, it was already gone. And this is what it looks like after the freeway came. It destroyed what was left. They tore down 8,000 houses to build Interstate 43, and then they decided to build another freeway called the Park West Freeway. How many of you remember that ugly monstrosity called the Park East Freeway that was downtown? That was just an eyesore, right? They finally tore it down, but people don't know that they're going to build an extension called the Park West Freeway, which is going to go up Final Lake Avenue, all the way to North Avenue, and turn west between North Avenue and Mine. It can go all the way to Sherman and meet up with another freeway they were going to build. Now, they didn't build a freeway. But they used eminent domain laws. They took the homes. They tore down 1,500 homes to build that freeway. And because of the citizens' complaint, they never built the freeway. So as a little boy in Milwaukee, I lived really close to that, right? And my friends and I, we used to try to find places to play. So we would go over in this area, and it would be block after block with no houses. Just a big, empty, grassy field. We could play football, and we could play baseball and all kinds of stuff. And I played baseball. You know, I have a baseball name. I'm Reggie Jackson. I mean, come on. Hall of Fame baseball player's name and Hall of Shame baseball skills. I was a terrible baseball player, and I was teased unmercifully, but now everybody remembers my name, so it's all good now. But we used to go over there and play baseball and football and all kinds of other games, right? Not knowing that there used to be houses there. So what happens is, I used aerial photographs once again, and I looked to see how long it took before they built something along that stretch. So I looked in 1975, still nothing. 1977, still nothing. 1979. Still nothing. 1980, still nothing. 1982, still empty. It wasn't until the aerial photograph I saw in 1985 before I finally saw some buildings along that stretch between North Avenue and Meineke. But guess what? They weren't homes. They had rezoned the area commercial. So you couldn't build a home there even if you wanted to. And me being the anal person I am, I know that there was about 900 houses from Fond du Lac all the way over to Sherman between North Avenue and Meineke. I went and counted how many single-family homes are there now. Used to be 900. There's six today. Six. They left this area vacant intentionally. It wasn't as if they like, oh, well, you know, we tore down houses. Let's give people an opportunity to build new homes here. That would have been the obvious thing to do, right? But nope, they didn't do it. They left it vacant because they didn't care. That's called disinvestment. Real estate companies, banks, governmental policies created a two-tier system of home ownership that we still see today. 
part of why we have this gap in home ownership rates between whites and everybody else is because, like I said, white people got the hookup. And when you buy a home, and you have the ability to pass that down to your children and your grandchildren and so on and so forth or use that home, uh, the equity you have to give your children a down payment to buy a home, all those things. You have that advantage. You have that wealth building uh, available to you if you're white. But if you're not white, you don't have that. So despite the laws that are in place, we still have discrimination. Wells Fargo Bank settled uh, with the federal government for $175 million in 2012. Countrywide Financial settled for $335 million, the largest lawsuit settlement ever for housing discrimination, and then Associated Bank settled for $200 million. Countrywide and Wells Fargo around the country were doing this. They were giving Latino and black borrowers completely different mortgages than whites who had the same exact credit worthiness. It wasn't as if, oh, these black people have lower credit scores, these Latinos you know, don't have the same work history. People who had identical credit worthiness were giving completely different loans. If you were black or Hispanic, they gave you a subprime loan when you were eligible for a prime loan. But anybody who's ever purchased a home, raise your hand if you've ever purchased a home. Right? Keep your hand up if on the front page of that, you know, they give you like 350 uh, sheets and they say sign like 85 of them, right? Tell me if on the front, keep your hand up, if on the front page of that loan package you got said subprime or prime loan. Keep your hand up if it said that. It doesn't. It just says mortgage. So you don't know the difference. You're just buying a house. 85% of the subprime loans nationwide that went belly up were second mortgages. People who had already paid for their homes got a second mortgage to, you know, fix up their kitchen or to make repairs to their roof or whatever. So what we don't understand is that this discrimination continues unabated, and we don't hear about it enough. So what happened in Milwaukee? That's what happened in Milwaukee. Those are manufacturing jobs that were in the city of Milwaukee. Back in the 1940s, we had over 130,000 manufacturing jobs, and today it's less than 28,000. Those were the jobs that brought black people to Milwaukee. Those are the only reasons we came to Milwaukee, because we wanted good jobs. We didn't want to pick cotton in Mississippi any, anymore. We didn't want to work for some crappy company in Arkansas anymore. We came to Milwaukee because there was a family supporting wage jobs, and we came because of those jobs, but they started to go away. These were the top 10 employers in Milwaukee in 1970, Metro Milwaukee. And look at how many of them are gone. Alice Chalmers is gone. Briggs and Stratton is way smaller than it used to be. A.O. Smith's has an office in Mequon, but that's it. They used to employ at one time 11,000 people. Allen Bradley, now Rockwell Automation, 750 jobs for 6,500. AC Electronics gone. Harnish Fager, now Komatsu, a Japanese-owned company, less than 1,000 jobs versus 4,500. American Motors gone. Schlitz gone. Paps gone. Miller Brewing, 630 people making a beer versus about 2,000 years ago. And this is what I tell people. Black people did not own a single one of those companies. We are not the reason they left, but we are the victims of them leaving because those jobs in the central city of Milwaukee that we depended on at a higher rate than any other group, 43% of black people in 1970 worked in manufacturing jobs. When those jobs started to go away, our, our community was impacted way more than any other community because we needed those jobs, and they were family-supporting jobs that allowed us to live well. We, in 1970, had the seventh highest median family income for blacks in the country. We were doing really well, and our median family income Based on having those types of jobs, those family-supported manufacturing jobs, we're making almost $50,000 a year as a median family income. Anybody want to guess what it is today? $28,000. $50,000 
to 28,000. This is what happened to Milwaukee. So when you, when you, you hear all of these horrible things about the poverty and the, the failing schools and crime and all this other stuff that you hear on the news that no one ever contextualizes for you, they never explain to you what happened, this is what happened, people. In fact, when you look back at 1970, our median family income was 19% above the national average for blacks. Today, it's 33% below the national average for blacks. Our poverty rate, which was 22% below the national average for blacks in 1970, is now 38% above the national average and the highest of any major city in the United States. This is what changed. People didn't all of a sudden get lazy. People didn't all of a sudden decide they'd rather commit crime instead of working. Their jobs went away and they needed money. Crack cocaine came into the city. We, we didn't bring it in. Last time I checked, I don't know a single black person that owns an airplane. I don't know any black people that own big boats that, you know, go to Long Beach Harbor or Newark, New Jersey and bring products in from overseas. We didn't own the, 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 the vehicles that brought the drugs into our community, but we were the ones who suffered because we started to actively pursue people who were using and selling drugs in the black community. And we ignored the fact that over at UWM, students were using drugs over there. We ignored the fact that people were smoking weed down by Marquette because we're too busy arresting somebody on 3rd and Center Street for smoking marijuana. 70% of the people who've gotten tickets for marijuana in Milwaukee over the last 10 years, 70% have been black people, even though black people are only 39% of the population in the city. So we don't enforce the laws evenly. This is what happens every Monday through Friday. White people who claim that they can't stand Milwaukee. That's, Milwaukee is sketchy. You got to stay away from certain parts of Milwaukee. They don't have a problem coming to Milwaukee to work. Look at this. 66,000 white people leave the burbs, drive into the city of Milwaukee to work every Monday through Friday, and take their money back out to the burbs. And at the same time, because there's not enough jobs in the city of Milwaukee, 32,000 black people travel out to the burbs. Nearly 9,000 Latinos drive out to the burbs to work and then come back into the city. And as a result of this, what's called spatial mismatch, this is what you have in Milwaukee. This is the population. This is the percentage of workers. White people are 36% of the population. They have 72% of the jobs in the city of Milwaukee. In addition to that, black people are 39% of the population. They only have 21% of the jobs in the city of Milwaukee. And then our Latinos, 18.4% of the population, but 9.6% of the jobs. This is what's wrong with Milwaukee that nobody knows. These are the things you need to know to have productive conversations about race. It's not about people being lazy, about people being criminal-minded, about people not valuing education, all that nonsense that I hear all the time. I tell people that until you learn what happened, shut up. Learn before you open your mouth. I believe that the biggest challenge we have in terms of having these conversations is that we don't know enough to start the conversations the right way. Thank you all so much. Appreciate your time.